Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello to all our listeners. Hey, everybody. Christopher and I are here actually during a Theology of the Body Immersion course going on. Uh, this week in Pennsylvania. We are recording our podcast for the first time at Black Rock Retreat Center. Mm-hmm. We got a little behind in our recordings. We we usually record three at a time. Mm-hmm. And gosh, the past couple of weeks have just been so crazy. So, so busy. Such things. a tender and important time in our yeah. family's life right now. My sister-in-law, Christopher's sister, just um, passed away on September 29th, which was just less than two weeks ago. And just a beautiful, rich, deep time for our family and everyone who knew and loved her. The graces that have been poured out are really amazing. They are quite amazing. I don't know if you wanted to share any highlights of that. Sure. Well, she had a two-year battle with cancer. Yeah. And I had the privilege of being with her when she died, when she breathed her last. I was holding her hand. My sister Marion was holding her other hand. My parents were there as well. And I had never been with anyone at the moment of death. It was an amazingly profound experience mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. sacred moment. Yes. It was brutal and beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it. My sister had been, for about, gosh, over 24 hours at least, she had had her eyes kind of rolled back into her head. She wasn't able to look at anyone. Yeah. She was breathing very, very heavily. And in the final few moments of her life, the heavy breathing stopped. Her breathing came down just to a whisper. And she opened her eyes so widely. Mm. And almost in slow motion, it seemed, she looked at my sister Marion. She looked at my mom. She looked at my dad. Then she looked at me. But it was also like she was looking through us, like looking to something beyond. We saw her seeing something beyond. We saw her see the glory. I don't know how else to say it. And then she breathed her last. And it was, I shared this with you, Wendy, already, that I felt like, I felt like my sister had said to to me and to my other sister and to my parents who were there, I felt like she was saying, I am entrusting to you the most vulnerable moment of my life. And I felt so honored to be there. Mm. And then, of course, we had the funeral to plan in just a few days. And and then the TOB2 course started, mm. which we're still in the middle of. And that's why we're recording this episode now, because we were supposed to record some episodes last week. And the funeral came and we weren't. But uh, I know many people out there were aware of my sister's Mm -hmm. illness and were praying. So thank you very much for those prayers. Yeah, I just want to say so many graces were poured out. Your sister's heart was so open. Yeah. And she just received such an abundance of grace in the last weeks and days of her life. And anyone who came to visit her, who spent time with her during the end of her illness, felt that the power of love that was um, just being... Yeah, it was palpable poured into her and out of her. And she even said as much, you know, that she was not afraid that she was floating in love. Yeah, that's how she said it. That's right. So really awesome. And I'll hold this out 
just as a hope to anyone who has family members who have struggled with the church. My sister, Emily, had a long history of struggle with the church, mm-hmm. uh, largely because of inept people in the church who wounded her terribly and mm-hmm. gave her a very, very poor impression of who and what the church is. And that was going on when she was a teenager. And so she did not want to be confirmed when she was a teenager because of those struggles that she was going through. Mm -hmm. But in the final weeks of her life, just uh, a week and a half before she died, she asked to be confirmed. Mm -hmm. And things came full circle, not without pain, not without struggle and, and questions, but she had a profound encounter with Christ in her final weeks, and she she wrote of it. And some of what she wrote about was read at the funeral as part of the eulogy. And I was learning things, many people were learning things about Emily that we didn't know, because mm. uh, she was very quiet about it. Right, the secrets of the faith that really was there in her heart. Yeah. And so I, I do find that encouraging for those of us who know people for whom there are such sensitive issues, things that we yeah. feel we can't discuss, they are going to get upset. Just that prayer and trust in God's mercy um, certainly was rewarded in, in our experience with Emily. Yes, so. very much so. Yes. Very much so. Emily, pray for us. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we, we had a beautiful priest friend of ours who who knew Emily and journeyed with Emily. And I trust this man, and he, he's kind of a mystic priest. And he said he was utterly convinced that Emily's sufferings in this life were her purification, and she went straight to glory. Mm-hmm. So he told me, you have a saint sister in heaven who's interceding for you. So mm, thank you. I think we can say with confidence and boldness, Emily West, pray for us. Amen. Shall we go on to questions from our wonderful listeners? That's what our podcast is about, isn't it? It is. It is. (laughs) Actually, one of our listeners has a question that I think kind of ties in to what we're talking about. So if we can start there with Jose's question. Okay. Jose says, hi, Wendy and Christopher. Hi, Jose. Many blessings. Jose, Jose. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That was a Jimmy Fallon thing. It was a... Sorry, that just came... (laughs) It was about... (laughs) You know, misheard song lyrics. Uh-huh. Uh, what's that that, uh, that song? I forget what it is. Anyway. Somebody heard it as singing yeah, somebody Jose, heard it Jose. As Jose, Jose. There you are. Jose, ho, ho, one. <laughs> well, Jose, we're singing to you today, and thank you for your question. You said thank you for this show, and the question is, what light does the Anima Christi prayer shine on the TOB, on Theology of the Body? So I actually, I have the Anima Christi prayer, which I, um, I believe is a prayer of St. Ignatius. Uh, that, is it all right if I yes, go ahead and please, read it for our please. listeners? Just to, to begin this question. The prayer is, Anima Christi, first of all, means soul of Christ. So that's the first uh, mm-hmm. phrase in the prayer. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, Save me, blood of Christ, inebriate me, Mm. water from the side of Christ, wash me, passion of Christ, strengthen me, O good Jesus, hear me, within your wounds, hide me, permit me not to be separated from you, from the wicked foe, defend me, at the hour of my death, call me, and bid me come to you, that with your saints I may praise you forever and ever, amen. 
Amen, indeed. I love this prayer. I remember coming upon it for the first time in my early 20s when I was just coming back to my faith. And the line that really struck me way back then and still strikes me is, blood of Christ, inebriate me. Mm-hmm. And the, the saints are very fond of this image of a holy intoxication, mm-hmm. a holy inebriation. One of the things I love about being Catholic is the rich sacramentality of alcohol. Mm-hmm. If alcohol is not on the altar, it's not a valid Eucharist. And I have this passage actually on my phone. If I can find it quickly enough, I will. That Actually, I just read it to my students. It's from the book of Sirach, chapter 31, and it's, it, it gives this kind of ode to, to wine. Here it is. I found it. Here it is. This is Sirach chapter 31. Listen to this. Have I shared this on a previous podcast? No. No? Okay. Let not wine be the proof of your strength, for wine has been the ruin of many. Now, we may think, yeah, well, that's kind of typical in the Bible. You're going to be kind of a downer on wine. But keep (laughs) reading. Listen to this. (laughs) As the furnace tests the work of the smith, so does wine test the hearts, test the heart. Wine is very life to anyone if taken in moderation. Does anyone really live who lacks the wine which from the beginning God created for our joy? Joy of heart, good cheer and delight is wine enough drunk at the proper time. But headache, bitterness and disgrace is wine drunk amid anger and strife. Wine in excess is a snare for the fool. But do not wrangle with your neighbor when wine is served, nor despise him while he's having a good time. Say no harsh words to him. Mm. I love that that's in the Bible. Yes. So balanced. It recognizes, obviously, the dangers of misusing alcohol, but it celebrates, rightly, the joys created from the beginning for our joy. It's put on the altar. Alcohol is put on the altar. That's a sign of this holy inebriation that we're called to. Mm-hmm. And it's the blood of Christ that we we thirst for. Uh, so much could be said there about the first miracle of Jesus turning water to wine mm-hmm. and the married couple running out of wine, John Paul II says, is a symbol of the original sin. And the restoration of the wine is the symbol of redemption. That wine itself is a symbol of divine love poured into our hearts. So maybe that's enough about that line about holy inebriation. But the the other line that strikes me, especially to illuminate theology of the body, and that was the question from Jose, right? Mm -hmm. How does this prayer illuminate theology of the body? Or how does the theology of the body illuminate this prayer? It it was the first. The first. It can go both ways, of, of course. But body of Christ, save me. Yes. We are saved by his body and Mm. blood. Nothing else saves us. If we ever have a temptation to disembody our faith, or if we ever have a temptation to to think of our bodies as inconsequential, return to the source and summit of your faith. At the source and summit of everything, everything we believe as Catholics, is the body of Christ given up for us in the Eucharist. And as John Paul II says, the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride. The Jews understood the language that we have now at every Mass. The Jews understood this idea of 
this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you in the cup of salvation, the cup of the covenant. They understood that in nuptial terms. They understood that as, oh my gosh, this guy is instituting some kind of cosmic wedding feast Mm. here. That's how they received the Last Supper because of their Jewish culture. They understood the references was to a wedding. I'm going away to prepare a place for you, Jesus says. That's the bridegroom who upon betrothal is going back to his father's house to prepare a place for the bride. All of that imagery and language of the Last Supper would have been heard in in this nuptial language of the Jewish ceremony and understanding of the wedding. We don't quite hear it that way. So it's surprising to us when John Paul II reminds us what the church has always understood, that the Eucharist is the consummation of the mm-hmm. mystical marriage mm-hmm. of Christ and the church. So much could be said about that. Maybe we'll leave it there for now, just for the sake of getting on to a couple other questions. But I do have just a little thought to yeah, contribute, please, please. just from the perspective of of this prayer being more well-known than Theology of the Body. And yet, we may read this in the back of our missalette at church or on a prayer card and kind of think, oh, I wonder why someone wrote that prayer. Or, oh, that's interesting. Like, it kind of may not not as easily naturally flow from us to pray that way Mm -hmm. as it obviously did for St. Ignatius. But I think that if we spend time with that prayer and allow it to become our prayer. Yeah. Allow the Lord to work in us Good one, Wendy. through owning those phrases and those images. It's yeah. such rich physical imagery. I think it prepares our hearts to perceive so much more in yes. theology of the body yes. by having embraced this physical, mystical, spiritual <laughs> imagery that is so powerful. So I just encourage listeners to take that prayer. I think, Jose, that was a beautiful question that you asked and a gift to our listeners. Yeah, I'll say this to to also tie it into our reflections on my sister's death, that Mm -hmm. try to do anything without your body. Try to pray without your body. It's impossible. We are bodily creatures. We are incarnate creatures. And that prayer grounds us in that fact. Mm -hmm. The moment I witnessed death in my sister the moment her soul was separated from the body. It's mysterious, but I know right now that's my sister. That's a living body. And then in a moment, it was a corpse. Mm. There was this separation of the, the soul from the body. This was never meant to happen. Death, we, we consider it a natural reality, but and it is in some sense but it's only natural to this fallen world we live in. It Mm -hmm. was not part of God's original plan for Mm us. Death is unnatural, which is why we grieve it. Mm -hmm. But we should grieve just as much as we grieve death. We should grieve any approach to the faith that seeks to separate spirituality from the body. Mm -hmm. And St. Ignatius, like all the saints, roots us back in that incarnational reality in that prayer. Absolutely. I have an anonymous question here. It seems from a woman. She says, I'm 41 years old, and my husband and I have been married for eight years. We've been trying to get pregnant for the last seven years. So eight years of marriage and trying for a baby. We've had two miscarriages. I still feel that I would like to become a mother, but I'm concerned that I'll be too old if it happens. 
I told my husband that there's part of me that wants not to have children anymore, perhaps use NFP to avoid getting pregnant from now on. He said this would go against the teaching of the church and would be a sin. What is your opinion on this? Bless you, dear anonymous questioner, and all that you're going through in these sensitive and delicate questions of your heart. As I hear your question, the underlying question is, are you in a situation that you have just reasons to be avoiding a child? So that seems to me, would you agree, Wendy? Is that kind of the underlying question? Yes. And the situation best that we can assess from your question is that you're getting on in years. You have sought for seven years to have a child, to become pregnant. Now you're getting older and you're wondering if it's the right decision. Is it wise for you to be getting pregnant at your age? I cannot answer that question for you. Is it wise for you to be getting pregnant at your age? I don't know if there are additional health considerations. There may well be, but I can provide for you maybe some insight, some food for thought that will help you to answer your question. The church says that, you know, the default posture of a married couple is to receive children as they come. But there are situations in married life where a couple might have, this is the word the catechism uses, a just reason for spacing or avoiding a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Those just reasons could be a financial reason, could be a health reason. It certainly could be an age reason, mm -hmm. could be some kind of psychological or emotional reason. Maybe you already have X number of children and you just need a, a, a breather. All of these factors could be just reasons. So I don't know if your husband knows some information about your situation that would be helpful for us in answering this question, but I would urge you together to speak together about what your concerns are about whether you would achieve or not achieve a pregnancy at this time. Do you have a just reason? I can't really provide that answer for you. And this is another thing I'll share, though, that John Paul II says that I think is very important. The married couple alone can determine before God whether they have a just reason. No one else can speak that for you. Certainly, you want to ask people you trust for their advice or their insight, just like you're doing in putting this question to us. But in the end, this is your responsibility, your and your husband's responsibility before God to assess, is this a just reason? And I, from what I know of what you've said in your question, the best I can say is it might well be. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, thank you so much for clarifying that. It is such a sensitive thing, and I, I do wonder if your husband is maybe thinking that there's sort of not having brought any children to birth, although you've certainly not acted against your fertility and even have conceived on two occasions that you're aware of. If he feels that somehow that is not being open to life. You know, we understand that the church teaches openness to life and that in our vows before the altar at our wedding, we say we will receive children lovingly. You 
to actually already have received two yes, children lovingly from the Lord. Yes, that's a very important point to and, remember. And even if you had never conceived, but had never acted against your fertility, that still would be in agreement with the vows you made before the altar. So I just, if that is the question that's not clear, you know, that using natural family planning to avoid pregnancy when you have a just reason is not acting against that vow of openness right. to life, if that is clearer, I hope. I think it could be an opportunity for you and your husband to have some very important conversations about your desires. Maybe maybe your husband is aching in a particular way to be a father. And the thought of you having some reservations maybe is tapping into some of his concerns in that regard. I'll also hold this out that we have friends who the wife was 48 years old when she conceived. Mm-hmm. And... That child has been a tremendous blessing in their family that was unexpected, but you know God can God can work wonders there. So I'm not saying that to convince you that you don't have a good reason to avoid. You may well. Uh, we just don't have all the sure the factors to give a, a more thorough answer. That's right. But the Lord knows your heart. Continue the conversation with your husband. And I think you can only benefit and grow in intimacy with him as you take the risk of putting what's really on your heart out on the table and inviting him to take the risk of putting out on the table what's really on his heart. Amen. That's good. Another question from a listener named Kelly. Kelly says, I need some help with lovingly discussing transgenderism with my 14-year-old daughter. This has sadly become quite a popular thing in school, and it seems to be viewed as cool. My daughter has a female friend who says she identifies as a male and has gone so far as to have her friends call her by a boy's name. How can I most lovingly admonish this friend's behavior without seeming judgmental or unkind? Whenever I try to steer her away from thinking that this isn't okay, she becomes very defensive and says she just doesn't see anything wrong with it. Bless you, Kelly. These are are such prickly issues because they tap into our deepest sense of ourselves as human beings. You know, in a, in a podcast of this nature, we, we can't go into great detail. I would point you to the new chapter of my recently revised book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. I have an entire chapter where I address this issue head on and go into much more detail there than I am allowed to here. But I don't think this would be my best guess at this point from what you've described. I don't think hammering on the issue directly is going to get you very far with your daughter, Kelly. I think rather what is needed is to push the pause button on that issue directly, and I would encourage you to invite your daughter into uh, an ongoing reflection, education, conversation in what the Catholic vision is of what it means to be human. And I would hold out another resource to you that I'd highly recommend. It's designed for young people, for teenagers. The program is published by Ascension Press, and it's called You, Y-O-U. And it's all about our true identity as men and women made in the image and likeness of God. What does it mean? Who are we? What does it mean to be human? Why do we have these longings? What are the 
the, the desires of our hearts and how do we satisfy them? What is our human identity and why can we often be confused about our identity? What does the body say about who we are as human beings? This program called You, if your daughter would be willing, you can't shove it down anybody's throat, but you could invite your daughter to say, would you be willing to take another look with me? Can we together go on a journey in an honest quest for the truth? I think this is especially important because whenever a young person feels an agenda being put on them by an older person, it gets under their skin and they push back and they rebel. But if you could say something to your daughter like, would you be willing to journey with me into seeking God's plan for our lives or entertaining questions about human identity, about our creation as, as male and female and what that means and be willing also, maybe she wants to bring to you some book that she's reading or that her friends are reading about what makes transgenderism the new fad or why people are embracing it. If you would be open to journeying with her, to looking at what she's exposing herself to, that might open a door for her to be open to looking at what you would like her to look at. And here you might say, well, Christopher, why would I, why would I even do that? Why would I even give that place? Well, the truth is the truth. We are seekers of truth. And if what the church teaches about human identity is really true, then we don't need to be f- afraid of any challenge to it. Because if what the church teaches is true, then it will stand up to any challenge presented to it. I'm suggesting that to invite an open conversation where you can have confidence, Kelly, that the truth will be revealed and the truth will stand up to any challenge. And I'm I'm suggesting that approach because I just know young people, their hackles get up. They they don't like it. Their defenses. They get defenses. Right. Their defenses get up. That's right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Kelly, bless you in this very important moment of mothering your daughter, who's obviously getting kind of swept away by the culture. But be willing to look at what she's learning, and maybe she'll be willing to look at what you know to be true, and we'll accept the challenge of maybe going through that program called You Together, which I think could be, if nothing else, could be a great opportunity to plant some seeds in your daughter's heart that maybe later in life will sprout. Mm. What are your thoughts, Wendy? Yes, I think also to be obviously covering the whole process with prayer, with prayer for your daughter, for her friends, for especially this friend who's taken this boy's name. Yes, there's so many forces in the culture right now that are so confusing to young people. And yes, so just that whole posture of prayer for God's mercy, for God's will, for God's light, for healing, all those things that are so needed by young people in a particular way, I think is just my only other contribution. Yeah, a lot of prayer. How about we pray right now? Sure. Would you lead us, love? Sure. Lord, we lift up to you Kelly's daughter. Thank you for creating her. Thank you for all the circumstances of her life. Thank you for friendships. Thank you for faith. Thank you for her parents and siblings. We ask you, Lord, to please protect her mind and heart from lies that would rob her of her sense of true dignity as a woman and the dignity of every other man and woman, boy and girl, as you've created them to be. 
And Lord, we pray for all the young people so impacted by confusing messages in our culture. We ask you, Lord, to raise up those who can lead them to you, lead them to your mercy and to your truth and for the freedom that comes from living in the truth. As you said, the truth will set you free. Lord, thank you for your gift of your body, your masculine gift. Thank you for the Mm. gift of your mother, her femininity. Mm. Thank you for the love that you and she surround our hearts with. If we could only have the eyes to see it. Amen. Amen. Well, that brings us to the end of another one of our episodes. It's really a joy. I'm, I'm here in front of about 100 students this week at Black Rock Retreat Center. And uh, so many people have said they've been listening to our podcast and it's been blessing them. And in a particular way, it always tickles me love to know. Uh, I learn from people, they say how much your reflections bless them. Thanks, guys. I couldn't agree more. It's a a rich blessing to be doing this with you, my love. Yes. If you would be interested ever in coming to one of these courses that we offer here in Pennsylvania, there's another one coming up soon, November 17th, I believe, to the 22nd. Yes, uh, my colleague Bill Dunahy will be teaching our Theology of the Body Level 1 course. And if you happen to be listening to this podcast sometime in the future, The year now is 2019. So 2019, November 17th to the 22nd is our next TOB1. And don't forget, we have an amazing opportunity in February of 2020. We are leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. From February 15th to the 25th, we are going to walk where the Word was made flesh. So if that excites you, If that is of interest to you, you can go to tobpilgrimages.com. We'll have that web link and a link for the course and a link for my Good News About Sex and Marriage book in the show notes. It's such a gift to be with you again on this episode. We look forward to being with you again next week. And never forget, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Is that, a, is that a real expression? Their hackles get up? I don't, I don't think know. so. It was kind of interesting. I think I just made that up. It's good. We'll use it again. It's our new, <laughs> it's our new expression. Maybe there. some of our questioners have their hackles up. <laughs> what is a hackle anyway? I don't know, but it could be up. It could be up. <laughs>